You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Good morning. This is Eric Campbell from Riverwise Magazine. Welcome to the Riverwise Podcast. We want to thank you for listening in to uh, our third venture into this new paradigm for us. We feel like it's especially important now that we're leaning more towards resources online to stay uh, stay in touch with each other and stay close and stay healthy mentally and physically. I'm here with Amas Mohammed, my co-host uh, on the podcast. You've heard his voice a couple of times on the first two. Hopefully you've been listening. And our special guest today is Reverend Joan Ross from a long list of ventures, but I'll start with WNUC, first of all, and the North End Woodward Community Coalition. Reverend Ross, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Eric, for having me. It's certainly great to be here and to be invited um, and unusual to be sitting on this side of the microphone. I was going to say the tables have turned a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've been a guest on your show several times, and um, I want to thank you for that first and foremost for uh, supporting Riverwise Magazine and, and allowing us to talk about the work that we do uh, in the community and and through this media project. You're very familiar with the magazine, and you're very familiar with the importance of community media. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, in times like these, our roles perhaps become a little bit larger, and um, we want to keep talking about things that people are going through uh, throughout this, uh, what we'll continue to call a crisis in Detroit and in the nation and globally. So um, so thank you for joining us and, and lending us your perspective on on what are, what are definitely rough, rough times for everybody. Yeah. And I certainly, you know, definitely can never say enough about Riverwise Magazine. I, I just feel you all have such a valuable place in community, not just in these times, but in all our times, that we're facing uh, such a shortage in independent media voice and in the power that that brings to community. Um, mm -hmm. And so having Riverwise there has been uplifting for me uh, on many occasions. I can grab the magazine, I can look at the cover uh, and the back and, and having talked to you know the story and just feel that sense of community connectedness and encouragement by that. So I am grateful for Riverwise always, even if you never have me on a show again uh, <laughs> or Moss never has any good things to say about me. Um, I am very happy that to know that Riverwise is in the city of Detroit. We, we appreciate you being here. And you're one of the people that, you know, beyond even the relationship we have personally and beyond the professional relationship, you're one of the folks who's done work on the ground for many, many years in Detroit. And you have a sense of uh, through several different initiatives. I'm, I'm going to list a couple. We have the Equitable Internet Initiative, the EII. I mentioned WNUC Community Radio, 96.7 FM. We've done tons of work in transportation. What am I missing? The solar the solar mm -hmm. uh, initiative as well in the neighborhood. North End um, has benefited from your work in many, many different ways mm -hmm. throughout the year. So we, we thank you so much for your perspective uh, in these times and your wise words. Uh, we want to certainly address the crisis we've been going through, the community's been going through, the crisis that's affecting us globally, the crisis which is causing us to look again at our, our systemic weaknesses uh, in this capitalist society, um, yeah. a crisis which we know and are being and are being told uh, is disproportionately affecting communities, black communities. Detroit's been called a hotspot, so-called. What I want to ask you first is how has, with all the work that you do, 
how has this change in change in our environment as far as health goes, as far as our relationships goes, as far as our social as far as our social networks go? How have these changes affected the work that you do uh, in North End and, and beyond? So I think the first thing, uh, and and what you didn't mention, is we also have the emergency food pantry mm-hmm. that we've operated for the last 15 years. That's the um, Storehouse have, of Hope? Yep, the Storehouse yeah. of Hope. Mm-hmm. And we have the Storehouse of Hope Community Land Trust. So my work has always been on the ground, really in community with people up close and touching stuff and things and people. Mm -hmm. And this has really changed that. And I often find that that we still, we need that human interaction, that touch, that being close to the folks that we serve. Uh, That's been really hard. Certainly everyone across the city can attest to the increase in the need for services uh, wherein we were doing uh, the two big mobile pantries a month. Uh, People are calling almost every day with needs for food uh, and needs that, you know, maybe you don't understand diapers and baby food and formula and things that you know, we never got requests for those kinds of things, but mm-hmm. the availability of supply is certainly short. And with money being even shorter, those things are coming into heavy play. So um, I encourage people who are listening, think about diapers and formula and baby food that are so vital for our families that now are in crisis kinds of situations. Yeah. So you ask about how is it impacting us? Well, certainly, you know, for the radio station, uh, we're still having to broadcast to be on air to make sure that content and information gets to people. But we are not in the studio. We are all of the amazing time and money that it took to build the studio. <laughs> it's just sitting there empty. And mm. now we're finding a way to having to deliver that service without uh, actually using those assets that we've had, which was has been a challenge. Learning to do radio without radio is mm-hmm. um, sort of unique. What, is so, that, what does that look like right now? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wow. curious, yeah, well, having we're been there. Still do, yeah, we're still yeah. doing shows. Of course, we're finding um, uh, methods like this. Uh, we still like that visual contact with people when they're in the studios and we're sitting across from each other, there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of energy that plays in that. So we, we do a, a zoom presentations where we're interviewing on zoom, but we're sending the content right out. So it's not, uh, not in this luxury of edit mode at all. We're still doing it live and up close. So you're not, but, you're not collecting the audio and then it's going to the station and someone's, Yeah, Morris is is actually our engineer, our main uh, studio engineer is actually on the call with us, on the Zooms with us. He's recording and then uh, switching the content to the time, the next available play spot for that show. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, we're trying not to do the edits um, and things like that. We still like that live interaction. So all of the work that we've done and do is always centered around being close to people and and being in contact with people. And I find that that's one of the hardest things uh, for me in this whole crisis that we're in. I was speaking to someone on Saturday 
And I said, you know, the human touch is so important for people. No, absolutely. Just every now and then to know that, you know, I can maybe touch your shoulder and say, okay, Eric, it's going to be all right. We got this. We're going to make it. We don't realize how important and even spiritual that that touch, that contact is. Mm -hmm. And now we're actually being forced to social distance. And in most of our cases, working from home, trying to still have those connections. So we're having to find other ways of still making those contacts. Um, I have actually have uh, two of my girlfriends are having we're having a hair appointment on Zoom on Saturday morning. <laughs> so we're going to be calling each other because, you know, technically I'm so grateful that this call is a recording and not a, vi a video. Um, you would probably say we've got to edit all of that out, cut her Stop. face out of this thing. Stop it. So um, <laughs> we're going to have this Zoom hair appointment on Saturday morning. Uh, and one of the girls says she now has one eyebrow, you know, because she hasn't had her <laughs> eyebrows done. And um, she says she's going to give herself a mani-pedi while we're on this, our Zoom hair appointment. Mm -hmm. So we're still trying to find ways to make that connection with people and that touch. But, of course, we're learning a whole new way of what life is. Yeah, it's a testament. Uh, what you speak on is, I mean, it's a testament to the human condition and how important it is that, that how we reach out, people are finding much different ways, creative ways to, um, you know, even in, even in the online paradigm, it, it makes a difference, um, yeah, it does. where you think it might not, but when, when you're, when you're forced to live without the, uh, company of people that, you know, becomes yeah. online thing becomes a whole new, whole different yeah. way of, uh, reaching out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to think um, of the fam, the people who live as singles, you know, mm -hmm. where if we're, if they're stay-at-home folks, they don't have anything, anybody directly. Maybe we can't touch each other, but my uh, my son and I live together, so I know he's here. I see him in the hall. We we comes in, we watch movies together. So I still have some connection to people to that touch. Mm -hmm. But uh, imagine the folks who are are sheltered, stay safe now that don't have anyone around. Can I ask, in while you're continuing to do this, the the broadcast and having these conversations, thinking about those people who don't have anyone with them, and thinking about like the inundation of the news about COVID and about these things and how mm. intense and uh, overwhelming it can be, does that factor into what you think about as far as content? And because this medium is also a way of reaching out and being present with people who maybe are alone. Does that factor into what you think about when you have conversations? Is it, is it yeah. really only covering what is happening or are there other ideas of keeping people empowered and feeling connected and yeah. uh, not alone? Yeah, you're, you're so right. Um, and when you, to add to that, you think of the people that are alone that don't have this media, don't have the internet and don't have that mm -hmm. access. And of course, you know, Detroit is one of the most digitally disconnected cities in the country. And while we're hearing new news about the kids getting laptops and, and tablets and things like that and Internet access for six months, there's still a lot of people that, you know, that's not going to reach or that um, don't know what to do once they get that access. Because we do provide mm -hmm. the Internet in both North End and Highland Park. 
So I know from the numbers of folks that we have who don't have access to internet. But one of the things that we've done is uh, every other Friday night, we've been hosting a happy hour on Zoom where we invite all of our folks who are on our network um, to join us on that. And we've been doing all kinds of things with karaoke and playing games and, you know, just trying to keep that community connection there. And uh, we're finding that people are getting into meltdown state. You know, first of all, we have cabin fever. We've been in all winter. And then now we're in you know, March and April in the springtime. Uh, people are having that effect as well as the realities and the pressures of this are really sinking in and hitting home. Um, yeah. And so I'm having folks, I uh, have one of the, one of the uh, folks that work with us sort of went into meltdown, you know, and I could tell from the text messages, something's wrong. Something is, this isn't working. So yeah, I called this person. Go ahead. I'm sorry, you go ahead. I, and I called her and I said, you know, let's don't talk about work. Let's don't talk about how many people you talked to today. Let's just talk like girls. Let's just talk about what, like we used to when we had lunch dates and, you know, when we would just hang out and that kind of thing. So let's just talk like that. Let's don't, don't mention COVID and don't mention the projects that you're working on. Let's just talk like that. And finally she began to kind of loosen up and laugh, but people need that because this, this pressure is uh, overwhelming. We're having more meetings now than ever before. (laughs) I'm constantly, I go have more meetings and they have them on Saturday and Sunday and seven o'clock in the evening. Where before, you know, at a certain time, I could say, hey, I'm disconnecting. I'm going home. I was going to add to that. that Sorry. Go ahead. Just real quick, I was going to add, speaking of how people are sheltering and and the extent to which they're sheltering, um, I was speaking to a friend uh, yesterday, in fact, who's been doing some delivering and uh, delivery of food and um, care packages. And, you know, she was saying that there are people, you know, I always assume that we we at least have the outdoors. We at least have, you know, the areas around our, our our dwellings or a park nearby at least to go out and, um, you know, get some fresh air. She was saying that they're, they're delivering the folks who just almost literally are not coming out of the house. And, okay. um, you know, for folks like that, it becomes, you know, it becomes a psychological challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. And there, there are seniors that, that can't, there are people that are high risk. Mm-hmm. There are folks that don't have, you know, if they walked out of their door one block in either direction, there isn't a park. There's mm-hmm. um, a whole bunch of blight and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can't get hung up in the, the tower that we think what life looks like outside because that's not the reality for everyone. It's like people automatically assume everybody has Internet. I mean, come on, don't you have it on your phone? But that's the world that you live in. There's a lot of people that don't have Internet and have ne- ne- never had access to that. So we always have to remember we live in kind of different worlds all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Is there, I, I know that this, when this, when this uh, pandemic happened, it changed everyone's year, changed everyone's mm-hmm. world. A lot of things were brought to light through the radio station. I know that it's something that I've really realized is that the, the scarcity of, of the internet and how everyone, all, all these solutions, so many things that people are coming up with really require yeah. not only to have an active internet connection, but an active bank account or, a, or a, yeah. a credit card or something that you can use to purchase any of these apps to get deliveries. Yes. Um, 
I love the idea of keeping terrestrial radio alive for those who don't have that. And I'm curious if they're in your planning for what's coming next, how the how the rest of the year looks, utilizing that the skills you have and the resources you have and the power that you carry to utilize that to empower those who don't have these internet accesses is the terrestrial radio is there has it changed your programming i guess well well it has changed programming but i think let me speak to this piece for when we got this notion of radio back in 2014 when the window opened for the first time in 13 years from the fcc for the opportunity for community organizations to uh, access low power stations. Um, it was, we realized then that we didn't have a voice that from which community could speak. And that was the big push about this. We were never voiceless people. We've always had a voice, but we didn't have the platform from which that voice could be heard. So that's why we endeavored so hard to get the community radio station. And we're the only community station in Detroit. And a lot of folks then thought, well, you know, radio is dead because everybody's doing podcasts and they've got, you know, their streams and all of this kind of stuff. But there was always, always, always that large group of people, my folks, that had radio. They had radio in the car, even if it was a hoopty, the radio played. Mm -hmm. So there was always that need to have that be a way of getting the message to people. And we found that, of course, community radio serves people. That's what we have to serve. We don't serve uh, corporate sponsors and all of all of those kinds of influences. We serve those people. And whatever happens to them happens to me. It happens to us in our neighborhoods. And that's what we want to get that message out. So all, most of our content right now, about 50% or maybe 55% of the content is created locally with local voice, with local message, whatever bothers them bothers us. And that's what we need to talk about on community radio. Even if it's your tulips didn't come up right. I don't know, <laughs> but that's what, and that's why my show is called my block, my hood, my city. We wanted to stay focused. If we're going to talk about block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, or all over the city, grassroots issues and concerns. And those issues and concerns may be big. They may be state level or federal level, but there's still the people on my block have these kinds of things to talk about. Mm -hmm. So as we look at where we are now, um, we got a call recently, and we have never done advertising for people, or nobody has ever come up and said, hey, I want to support community radio, which is what we can do. We can't actually do commercial advertising. But the other day, we got a call from three major kinds of groups that say, hey, we want community radio to carry this. So all of a sudden, people are realizing folks don't have internet and folks don't have this. But community radio has been here and now beginning to be recognized as a vehicle to get those messages out. So we want to continue to do that. Whether When your street floods, uh, the big media stations are concerned that you can't go down your street because it's flooded. But community radio is because that's our home, too. And we want to say, hey, don't go down that street. you got to go a block around and come back. So from the, the smallest message to the broadest concern, community radio is in the center of that. 
that focus on the smaller community of the black in the hood is something you know that we that we could I could benefit we could benefit from you know keeping keeping that in our in our minds as we do our work at the magazine too because you know we we call ourselves a community publication but it's so easy you know especially with the access that you were mentioning that we have to news that comes from outside the city outside the country to get sort of caught up and that's important too because what we're doing you know it does it relates globally but at the end of the day though you know it really comes down to what's happening you know on your particular yeah. in your particular community that, that's right mm -hmm. it's my neighborhood that i'm concerned about yeah how has um speaking of your community and um, we mentioned the storehouse of hope earlier i'm i'm curious about how you how you how the storehouse has, has adjusted in the past few weeks the need has changed has intensified yeah. and um what services are you providing a storehouse of hope and uh how is that going well you know we didn't even have time to write out a game plan and send in a player we had to hit the ground and do it mm -hmm. um we had to make major changes uh at the very we had a pantry uh, scheduled for the 18th of march and just before that things started to to break with COVID 19. so that pantry had to be changed and none of us knew how we were going to do that we just knew that we had we normally are a walk-up pantry and we serve about 150 families um which comes to about three thousand uh, people a month uh, in our mobile pantry. Mm -hmm. So we, but we, we knew that we had to do the social distancing. We had volunteers to be concerned about how we would protect them. So all of a sudden we had to have a drive up system, uh, that people could remain in their cars. They had to unlock their trunks and we had to get more volunteer power to make sure that boxes got packed and we put those boxes in the cars. Normally, we like clients to go through and select what they want because then we have clients' dignity, clients' choice. But with this model, we can't do that, so we're having to pack boxes. But we've, uh, because of this, we've had to increase the number of families that we're serving. We're getting calls that we're taking food uh, to people. We do have some wonderful partners, not just Gleaners Food Bank, but we also are partners with Aldi, uh, and we also have a couple of small family foundations that have stepped up to to make sure that we have uh, more funds mm -hmm. to do those to meet those demands. Uh, we are partners with Meyer uh, in the Meyer uh, Pantry gift card program, so those have been where we've gotten the resources from to meet the new demand. People are calling from all over the city because our number is on the Gleaners Food Bank list. So we can't, and we don't say no to people, no matter where mm -hmm. you are. We serve mm -hmm. 48202 and 48211, but we're not going to see people hungry. Mm -hmm. Then we started getting the calls for diapers and for baby food and for formula. And we had to reach out to some other partners and say, we have this other need. It was never a, a need before. But now all of a sudden people are saying, hey, we don't have these things. And it's hard to say to a woman with a baby that needs baby food, we'll give them mashed potatoes or, you know, whatever. They need baby food mm -hmm. or formula. And I don't know if you can relate, but formula and diapers are pretty expensive things, even when they're available readily and there's funds for them. So we've had to make sure we've had modifications of items that we normally 
didn't carry and that we could increase the, the support to families. We brought in more meat items, um, more uh, because families home, kids home during the day, you need more food. So we've had to increase our food volume so that we have some other items that families can make meals out of and can go further. Uh, we've had a wonderful success at getting a lot of produce for people uh, with uh, just huge amounts of wonderful things. Uh, and last pantry, we got fresh eggs. So we had dozens of fresh eggs to give to people. Mm -hmm. so those kinds of changes, uh, and we do that now. We, we just finished the Monday pantry uh, where we had some wonderful things for folks. But we want them to come in their cars now and... Uh, sometimes there's three families in a car. So, you know, they got the ride and they got the car. That doesn't mean we won't do walk-ups and we try to do them as quickly as possible and get them away. But we would prefer to try to keep everybody safe. All right. I'm going to do a quick ID, if I could. This is the Riverwise podcast with your host, Eric Campbell and Amas Muhammad. We're with Reverend Joan Ross from My Block, My Hood, My City Community Radio and many, many other initiatives happening in and around North End. We were talking about services and um, aid uh, is being provided through the Storehouse of Hope in North End. Have you seen um, an increase? You know, we talk about, we've had several discussions, Reverend, about gardening, urban gardening in and around the city. You know, I've talked to people that I know who are, you know, that's that's their one of their defenses right now is to, you know, get those gardens going and and, and establish that food security um, on a whole other yeah. level right now. So are, are you seeing the same uh, kind of reaction in, in the North End? Absolutely. I'm hearing that from all of my friends that are, are gardeners. And, you know, me, I don't have a green thumb, <laughs> but all of my friends that are gardeners are saying that they're trying to get in as early as they can. Mm -hmm. They're encouraging more people to start raising something yourself. Uh, one thing is we're hearing there may be food shortages in certain items, and that's just kind of putting more panic out there and more fear and more what ifs. So that makes people hoard more because they are afraid we, we create this lack cycle in their mind. So they start to hoard more, which causes the prices to even go higher mm -hmm. and the demand, you know, is even greater. So, uh, but the, the gardeners uh, the, and the real environmentalists, those are the real down-to-earth green environmentalists. They are yeah. encouraging now for people to go look at your yard and let's start your own garden this year. As, as a matter of fact, I even heard where seeds were being given away and or they could purchase at a, a discount price. So people are encouraging urban gardening and uh, those kinds of things more. Are you seeing, I know before this, it was already an issue, but the and, and now, once everyone is, is, is sheltering in place, it's becoming even more of an issue. But the, the problem with water availability yeah. and access to water, I mean, even if someone is with the intention of growing for themselves, if they cannot water the food, water themselves, yeah. um, are you getting calls uh, to support with water access? And how has that affected the work that you're doing? Yeah, I always direct the water people to the water people because they do their work the very best. And uh, but, you know, I think that when you bring this point up that we need to definitely emphasize the passing of a water affordability plan and the fact that water is a human right. I think that we're in this little lull now, but look at what it took to get us to the place 
that the the water shutoffs have stopped mm -hmm. and that people are getting back on service. And I don't even think all the people are back in service mm -hmm. yet. Some may even have structural problems that have been going on for so long with no water that they aren't able to get water at this point. I don't think the great work that Monica Patrick uh, Lewis does over at We the People and some of the other groups at Brightmore Connection that are actually doing water distribution, mm -hmm. I don't think their work has let up at all. I don't think they're, that they're stopped uh, actually having to deliver water to people. But when you think of put water out there, the first thing we have to always be mindful of is to get the city's attitude and maybe other places in the country's attitude about human right to water and a water affordability plan. We need to keep that in their mind because before we know it, this little time may run out and we'll be back to where we are. Imagine right now people that don't have access to water, but they're still, you know, we're in this crisis mode. That's got to be horrifying to know that you can't wash your hands. Not that you won't or you forgot to or any of those things. You can't. Mm. There is no running water in your house. And, you know, when you talk about gardening and things like that, so you've automatically eliminated those people from having opportunity to good food access or growing food themselves. And you've limited their access to even washing their hands. And you put them in these vulnerable, this vulnerable position, and then you slap COVID-19 in their face. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's, that's, mm -hmm. that's an amazing thing. And so there has to be a change in attitude. And there are now even still people that says, well, I paid my bill. They should pay their bill. Come on. Somebody has really sold you some snow mm -hmm. that you can yeah. think. <laughs> I want to say some other things, but I am going to be <laughs> of all the FCC rules that, um, <laughs> that you know, and, and that comes from leadership. That comes from an attitude that started uh, from our mayor, from the city, that people had that, well, I, they paid, they ain't paid my bills. They have to pay their bills. No, we're in this together. If they have it and they're right next door to you, what do you think your chances are? Yeah, we've got to start. Not it. We've got to like, start finding another way, um, and it starts yes, with the affordability. Yes. We talked with Reverend Bouye. Let me shout out Reverend uh, um, Rosalind Bouye. Ross, yeah. Um, yeah, we talked to her about the water situation in Brightmore, and she claims that folks are coming into Brightmore Connections, claim you know, frightened that they're going to get their water cut off, and a couple actually have had their water cut off in the last couple of weeks. So the city is not really? only is not only sluggish with the restoration, but there have been reports, reliable reports, that the the city has actually cut water off in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, isn't well. Even with the governor's mandate for where we are right now, but you know, and you think back to some of the uh, some of the expressions or or things that came out when we started a few years ago talking about this water crisis. When certain people could say, well, if they think water is free, they should go down to the Detroit River with a bucket. Mm -hmm. And, you know, get them. A, so that kind of attitude and it passes down to folks that and I'm not going to say it passes down to folks that don't have a lot of, of uh, street savvy or anything. It passes down because it becomes a prevailing thought from the city, from the mayor, yeah. from people who are supposedly be in these positions of power. 
And all of a sudden, that becomes the attitude that people have. And we stop caring about each yeah. other and we stop being concerned. But something like this brings it right to your door. Whether you have that mm -hmm. attitude or not, this is real. This is at your door. Look at how many people in Detroit have lost their lives to this. That, you know, we're, and I'm not saying those were people that didn't have water or anything, but this is a systemic problem. And we need to look at it from leadership. And if you've ever listened to my shows, you know I don't pull any punches with talking about leadership. So leadership, because that's what they're supposed to be doing, leading us, leading the path. And if leadership can't change their attitude, then I don't know if we're going to win at all. Yeah, or we should be looking for leadership perhaps in a different place at this point. You know, we should be looking for leadership. Well, I've been doing that, but, you know, hey, we can say that. Right. We should be looking at WNUC <laughs> for do. leadership, perhaps, instead of <laughs> Hall. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Thank yeah. you. We, uh, we just want people to be able to come and have their, their place that if they want to say that, you can say that. As long as we don't do the things we shouldn't mm -hmm. do. You, you're entitled to your opinion about yeah. that. You're entitled to feel what you feel about the way certain situations. And, and I think we're going to see more of that as we begin to see these funds come into the city as part of the care uh, package from the, the COVID-19. I think we're going to have to call for transparency in leadership about how that money is spent and who gets that money and not have it business as usual. Yeah because the billions of dollars that have gone into development of downtown at the risk of community has put us in some of this that we're in right mm. now today. Yeah. I no, mean, not even billions, it's probably trillions at this mm -hmm. point. Well, I want to, I want to support everything that you're saying. I mean, the, 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 the rhetoric continues from city hall and from the governor's office, the governor, I think actually since the order was made to restore water has, made it a point to say that she doesn't consider, you know, access to water and the link that it has to public health. She doesn't consider that a real thing. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's statements like that, that uh, keep a lot of folks uh, focused on other things. So. Yeah. Yeah. So then you begin to wonder, do they, are, is it just that they really think we stupid right. or that we're crazy right. or that, you know, we can't, what, what? And then later on, something like this comes about and, and we can see a direct correlation to water and to health for people. And it's like, what? Well, duh. Yeah. Yeah. We've told mm. you this, the same thing with the internet. You know, we started the Equitable Internet Initiative about four years ago. And we said, okay, we need to do this. And because we need to create a preparedness plan for not when, not if, but when things are going to mm -hmm. happen. And we, we didn't see COVID-19 at that time. We were really thinking of more um, natural disasters and situations as a result from climate change. And we said, okay, we need to begin to establish solar charging stations in neighborhoods and a preparedness plan. And where can we put refrigerate? That's why we wanted to do solar because solar in on certain houses would give us the ability to have refrigeration. And if we needed to store insulin and, and medication, we had access. We would know where food uh, harvests, food uh, sections preparedness was. So we talked about this four years ago. But we don't get enough funding as community organizations 
to launch the plan, to be able to put those in place, things in place that could have, have set a preparedness pattern out there for us. We wanted to have solar on 1,000 households in low-income communities. And knowing that in each community there were so many houses that had solar, we could make sure that we had refrigeration. We could make sure that there was access with communications through Internet, mm -hmm. uh, even if they were by solar charging stations. So we knew we could see a vision. God gave us the wisdom to see, you need to get this thing in order. Yeah. But the funding isn't right. ours. What, outside of the solar, which I understand is the powering of it, what are the, the, the infrastructure that would need to bring internet to so many households? It's something that I've been thinking about and talking to a few people about, because uh, I have a, uh, Eric and I both have children who are home from school, but still are continuing to do yeah. school work. And I just have one child and I was just, you know, we have a computer in the home, one computer. Uh, we are lucky to have internet access, but those who have multiple children, maybe your only way to internet is your cell phone. Yeah. What does the infrastructure look like in bringing that kind of accessibility to so many households? So under the project, uh, we have three communities that we work to create a, um, a, a community uh, mesh network uh, with the distribution of one gigabit of internet to, and actually we could reach about 700 households in each of those three neighborhoods. Wow. And last year I expanded our network into Highland Park. And these are pretty much line of sight, point to point contacts with the distribution of this internet. So we set out to train people within those neighborhoods to install and maintain their own community internet. They have their, their own network. It's their network. They, that's, yeah. That's amazing. I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, that's just, that's exactly, I mean, almost exactly what I wanted to hear yeah. because I, I just was at a loss to understand. So the, the internet originates from WNUC? Well, actually, we're picking up a signal that's coming through 123Net is our partner. Uh, on that, uh, we're picking up signals from the Fisher Building. For me, other the other two neighborhoods are Island View, uh, and that one's coming through the Church of the Messiah Boulevard, Boulevard Harambe, and the other partner is Grace in Action in Southwest Detroit. So they're picking up their signals from a point uh, that's accessed by 123Net. Um, so it comes to my building, and then within the North End community, we have about eight hubs that we are redistributing that signal to those hubs. And then from those hubs, we're covering the households within that neighborhood, within that reach. So one of our hubs is Blessed Sacrament, the Cathedral of Blessed Sacrament, which is the highest point in the North End for us. So. We are grateful to the uh, Catholic Diocese in Detroit for being such a wonderful partner to me for many years. And when I said, hey, I think we want to do this, they said, okay, Rev, whatever. They didn't understand it. And uh, it, it fries a lot because of, it gets hit by lightning. So that's the hardest <laughs> access point to keep up. But I'm grateful for the, uh, the Archdiocese helping us in whatever thing we think benefits community. So in North End, we have about 92 households that are on the system, um, and we've maintained them throughout 
all of this. We aren't installing anymore. We want to install more. But right now, just with Stay Safe, we're not sending folks into people's houses to install. Mm. Um, but we have made sure that our families are not paying for the Internet. Uh, it is uh, free while this is going on. And it's been free for a while while this was going on. So, uh, and we created an intranet piece to go to that that will be launched within the next week or so, so that we still have the intranet as a communications port, uh, with regardless to what happens maybe to the internet. And most people we think have it had access to internet on their phone, but that's not really true either. A lot of people are still on. Um, different plans that cover little or no data and certainly yeah. not the kind of data that uh, kids would need to do their homework. And then there's this piece of commute, co computer literacy and teaching people how to be safe and secure on the Internet. So we do a lot of computer classes. We uh, get donated equipment and the guys refurbish it so we can try to give people the hardware that they need to do these things. Last year, we moved into Highland Park, and all we were able to do was get three access points up. We did not get to the families that we actually wanted to start in, uh, installing into homes. We still have those people that we pray, God, we get to this spring. Um, but in each of those neighborhoods, we hire the people that live there. So when your internet goes down, you can go to the guy two doors over and say, my internet ain't working. You need to come over here. And it's not like you got to make an appointment and maybe it'll be next week mm -hmm. between eight and three. The guy lives on your block somewhere. I wonder if there'll be another so, tour coming up. We went on that tour, the uh, Equitable Internet Initiative tour. Was that two, not quite two years ago? Yeah, I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. it was amazing. You know, the whole just another look at how democracy really works. You know, when people are in action, and um, I'm just telling, I'm just kind of telling <laughs> Maz. I'm hoping another tour comes up because we can visit all three of those spots. I mean, you can visit them anytime, but <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I would love to see that. I think that's something that every conversation I find myself in, all of the solutions seem to be around these kind of app based or things like that, and it. Very many people seem to realize how that's such a big hurdle. That's such a big if. Yeah. Um, but hearing this kind of access and, uh, you know, I hadn't until this point had any idea that this was happening. Um, and, and hearing that and knowing that it, that's this is probably, I will say, the most empowering thing I've heard in, in, <laughs> in COVID. And I really appreciate it. And that's that's not even being hyperbolic. It really is yeah. one of those things that so many of us take for granted, even having yeah. a smartphone. Yeah. About um, access. And yeah. About access and, and, and just being able to offer that to home to home to home in these different neighborhoods is such a powerful tool for even yeah. people to un, like to receive your voice. Uh, to receive the, the to know that they can go to the neighborhood and be like, hey, I got this hookup. That it's happening. It's out there. We're gonna see if we can do this for you too. Yeah. Well, in the North End, we have the largest network so far, and this the plan was this year to finish Highland Park or at least bring some houses online in Highland Park, and then over this summer put in three access points in Hamtramck because you know we know that Hamtramck, Highland Park face the same kinds of situations that we do, and then it all becomes this neighborhood of things happening. So you mentioned solar, too. Let me say you don't have to have solar.
to have this, what we thought with solar was we would layer the work that we do with solar in those same three neighborhoods and begin to build real sustainability, real resilience within the neighborhoods. We install solar charging stations, um, like there's two in the north end, there's one uh, in southwest, and I think there's two in Island View uh, at this point. And those are points that people can just go and have access to the internet, but they can charge their phones, they can charge their tablets. So in case we have these uh, DTE outages, you're not sitting with your whole neighborhood black. and. It started with one of my employees. We had a power outage in the neighborhood. She couldn't get her car out of the garage, and she didn't have any power. Her phone went dead. She couldn't do anything. And she just began to feel like, oh, my God, you know, she didn't have any way of communicating and getting out. So had we had a solar charging station just a few blocks down, she could have walked out of the house and charged her phone and at least been able to stay Mm. in contact Mm. with her family. So the idea is to begin to do the work that you're doing in this in these communities, but layer it on top of something else so that you begin to see the results of this group does this and this group does that. We happen to do solar, which is a real passion for me. I love solar projects. Uh, we've been very blessed to get a grant that came uh, as a national grant from the Harnell Foundation to help us begin to see the vision of solar in 1,000 households. And we did put solar on all our community land trust properties. So in this crisis, I know that my people don't have very much of an electric bill. I think one of them's bill is like nine bucks a month or something now. Um, We have, you know, we have internet access that we provide to people. So both of those things should empower you. They should empower you with, um, first of all, changing the narrative of systemic racism and the the fact that we don't have, to make things more equitable, we have access to those things too. We can't do internet in every community. First of all, it's it's kind of costly and certainly more costly for me than it is for Comcast because I only have 90 customers. Comcast has a whole lot more customers. And, so, and I have a small workforce. So it takes my guys a little longer to do an install than it does the Comcast guys because it's only a couple of us trying to do that. But that's an investment in your community, and it shouldn't be about, well, we don't have enough money to run this program. It should be about every community says we're going to have that program and make it happen that you create workforce development, you have jobs within your community, you create them as a governing system. The, the community governs their internet. They govern that process. They own it. It's community owned. Certainly it comes through our organization, but we are the community and we allow the voice of the community to always come through in that process. So we should have, and people applaud that a DTE and a Quicken Loan said we're going to put $23 million into internet access. $23 million. We never had, we didn't have $200,000. And beside, you're going to pay for that. It may not look like you're going to pay for that, but you're going to pay for that because they're never going to do it for nothing. I want to... um... I don't know what do you think, Amas. We were, we were going to try to keep this under a certain timeline, but you, but with 
with Reverend Ross, you know, we're used to go, we're used to talking an hour and a half or, or two hours. Um, yeah. I'd like to go back and, and I was waiting for you to say, we want to thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking at the clock as it goes right. and I'm like, okay, well, I know he's going to say thanks so much I mean, much that's, for being that's here vital today. information. I mean, I, you so, know, I, yeah. so much of what you had to have to say revolves around the, uh, effort to create self-determination in, in communities. And I, and I can't, you know, I can't hear that enough. So I, it's hard to, it's hard to cut in. But while you're on that thought, and before you say goodbye to me, let's push community land trust, which is, this is the idea of creating permanently affordable housing for families, not just uh, when people say, and look, push back on this. If you don't ever take anything from what I have to say, when people say, we're going to do affordable housing, push back and say, we need permanently mm -hmm. affordable housing because affordable mm -hmm. housing is only affordable for one generation or one cycle. It is not permanently affordable. But when we talk about land trust, again, we're talking about this equity position and changing this, this systemic problems that we have. Permanently affordable housing, when we sign a land trust deal, that's for 99 mm -hmm. years. Now, all of us, believe it or not, will be lying in 99 years. We ain't, none of us do. So, but we're saying we believe in this to put this into a situation, a contract with our community, with members of this community for 99 years. We want this to be the way things are done. So we need to push back on people that talk about affordable housing and really don't know what they're talking about. We started the land trust uh, six years ago. We're the only land trust in the city. And it, it wasn't a matter of, again, it, uh, if you want to do this, it was we got to do this now because people were losing their homes and we needed to create something that kept people in their homes and that rewarded them and benefited them as part of owning community. We can't be put off this land and we can't have people take everything away from us. So community land trust is again, one of those, those things that you need to push um, that that's a model for how, and we do land trust at 50% and below, actually all our families are 30% and below area medium income. Don't allow this conversation that we're going to do this housing and it's affordable at 80% area medium income or 120% area medium income. That's not going to help us. And in five years, we're going to be worse off than we are today if we keep investing yeah. in things like that. As a, so that's my story. Well, and me, I'm sticking to it. Let me ask a question about the community land trust. <laughs> From your point of view, Reverend Ross, what is it as far as getting, as far as organizing towards establishing a community land trust? What is the what is the minimum number of folks, or what what kind of power do you have to have as a group, or as an as a uh, as an organization? Is it best to start as an, as an organization, or is it just a matter of, of of a few neighbors getting together and deciding if they want to they want to invest a little bit more okay. in the community and the land. Okay. Well, we started this conversation in 2010 mm -hmm. in the city about community land trust. And at that time, uh, and I, I said this in a, a, a panel that I was on recently, I, we talked to the city of Detroit about it. They didn't say no. They said, hell no, we don't want community land trust. It By 2015, and that was the year of the 40,000 families that lost their homes during this illegal and unconstitutional 
tax foreclosures that happened, we had no choice. We had to try to do something. So we entered with a few of my partners um, a seven-day GoFundMe campaign, mm. and we were so blessed that in that time we raised $108,000. We didn't have time to decide who or when or how. We had to do something. And we knew this model. We've been talking about this model for years. So we had we entered the auction and purchased 15 properties in the auction for our $108,000. And many of those families had already self-evicted themselves before mm. we got there. But uh, we were able to save 10 families. And we've been working with those families ever since, trying to keep them as a community in jobs and if they don't have food, we get food to them. And if they can't pay the, the we charge them 30% of their stated income. And that's stated. We don't check it. You say you make $50. I say, okay, I'll trust mm -hmm. you. You make $50. And mm -hmm. we pay the water bill and we pay the property taxes with the understanding that in five years, they were going to, we were going to work with them to try to strengthen their position so that they would buy their homes. It will always be a land trust property, which means they own the house, we own the land. But um, they would, you know, it would still stay in community. That that means it really helps them because it protects them against foreclosure. It kind of insulates them, let's say that word, uh, against yeah. foreclosure and things like that. It doesn't protect them. I mean, they could still go into foreclosure, but we have the first right on the house so that we would prevent the yeah. house from being lost. That was how we started. And now you hear a lot of groups are, you know, oh, they're buzzing about community land trust. Well, the thing to do is do it. Don't talk about it, just do it. <laughs> because you're not helping nobody by talking about it since 2010. This is 2020. And there's only one. So stop talking and let's decide if this is what you see as a permanent solution, as an aid in this crisis of housing that we're in. And look, after this is probably going to be worse than it is right now. We're not going to tell that out loud, but it's, there's some serious mm -hmm. stuff going on now. We need to begin to strategize. And I'm not saying Reverend Ross got the best answer in the world. I'm saying we had an answer, okay? At, but at least it's better than standing on the, the stump in the storm and saying, we yeah. don't know what we're going to do. Let's Out of all the something. initiatives you're involved, I mean, each one yeah. deserves a, we a weekly show on its own. Um, but you have one. You have one. <laughs> Tell us about uh, a little more about WNUC you when, we can, uh, when we can tune into uh, My Block, My Hood, My City. Uh, my Block, My Hood comes on uh, at 5 o'clock, Monday through Thursday, 5 to 7 uh, we normally have our guests on for about an hour and a half. <laughs> At least <laughs> an hour and a half. Sometimes, right. <laughs> sometimes uh, some of our guests, uh, and they, they're all over the place. There are people in art. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people in dance. There are people in planting flowers. There are people, whatever is it's intergenerational. in the community you got kids on that there you want doing to their thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. We have some wonderful kids. And I can tell you about their show, too. Our kids take over the airways at four o'clock every day, Monday through Friday. And they do a show called radio to the future. And these are the kids talking about radio and how it's going to right. move into the future. And they create their own content. Um, they do, you know, sometimes it's wild. And 
I can't even <laughs> listen to it, but they love it. And they do a lot of coming in, teaching them broadcasting skills, uh, broadcast journalism, as well as simply uh, offering them a chance that if they want to DJ a party, we'll take everything to them, for them, to the show, to the party, and they can do that and earn their own money. So we always try to create work situations where people can earn something out of the skill set that they're doing. But My Block, My Hood also comes on again at 8 o'clock in the morning. So it's it's uh, recorded tonight at 5 and rebroadcast tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., 8 to 10. So you have a lot of chance to listen to it. It's also on the archive. We're in the process of redoing all the websites right now. One of our sites has been mm. hacked. So it's kind of in a mess. So this next week or so, the sites may be down, but you can listen to the stream at wnuc.org. And you can also learn about the podcast classes and things that we want to be, we want to teach. We had a podcast series that was scheduled just before COVID-19 uh, and the stay home. The order. Um, the uh, mm -hmm. alert came out. Yeah, the order came out. So you can catch up with that. And we definitely want to teach podcasting and teach this as a way people can tell their stories and you can tell it in so many formats and so many ways that it's something that anybody can get into. And that's what we want to do, create yeah, those and, kinds and of spaces. We'll also have one show that Go ahead. I like to talk about, and that's Bedtime Stories on Sunday evening, 8 o'clock. We have kids that people that come in and read bedtime stories on Sunday night. Uh, and they, some are in multiple languages. We do Arabic, we do Spanish, but it's uh, we ask the guests to pick out their favorite book and read and however they want to express that book so that kids can kind of unwind. I find a lot of adults <laughs> listen sounds, to that sounds show. Sounds nice to me, actually. Mm -hmm. relaxing. <laughs> it's a way to go to sleep. And then, of course, one of our anchor shows is Memories of Motown, which airs on Saturday at 12 o'clock, which is a Motown favorite all across the country. We have listenerships all over the country that, that tune in just for Motown, Memories of Motown with Morris Porter, right. Mo Master Blast. We appreciate everything you do, your energy, <laughs> doing two shows a day. You're recording tonight at 5, you said. Yeah, well, we've recorded. Uh, we record t okay. tomorrow, okay. actually. Uh, tonight's show is a rebroadcast because... Uh, so it's a rebroadcast, and then tomorrow we record again right. and start back live. And it's kind of hard getting guests right now, so if you can put it out, people are leery to talk about, well, we used to talk about their events and things like that. Of course, all those have been canceled. Mm -hmm. And then people are having trouble visualizing what's mm -hmm. the work going to look like when we do go back to work, you know? What's that? I'm having trouble grasping that. What is it then? How do I? How am I working? Yeah, I think it's I think people find uncertainty or, or, or they find fear in the uncertainty. And I keep trying to think of it mm -hmm. as opportunity in the uncertainty. It's like things we don't know what it's going to look like, but that doesn't need to give us anxiety. It needs to give us empowerment and possibility. It's going to be different. And that change mm -hmm. is ours to make the best of. Yeah, we know we can't go back to normal to what mm -hmm. was, there is going to be new. So you probably need to call me and talk to me because I've got a project that we wanted to work on 
that uh, the funder is saying, well, what's it going to be in June? How's And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have to wear a face mask and a shield and this hazmat suit. Are you talking about the podcast boot camp? Yet. So I'm having, yeah, yeah well, we that's one of them. <laughs> that's one of them. The housing program is the one that we're doing some okay. different things with the housing program. And I'm like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Um, well, we thank you for joining us, Reverend Ross, as always. The work that you do is nothing but inspiring. Glad you said and, that. Um, it's always a, a fascinating you. perspective on uh, you describing it to us, the work that you do. Amas, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, this was wonderful. Reverend Ross, it's, uh, <laughs> I suppose this is really great to meet you. I cannot wait till things, you know, <laughs> settle down and on the other side. Um, I was I was scheduled to be part of the podcast boot camp uh, this past oh. March. I was really excited. I, I look forward. I I expect us to do work together alongside one another and um, always inspiring to see and experience what you do. Thank you. Always enjoy meeting folks. And I like the way you said, I suppose it was great meeting you. I'm like, I suppose so too. <laughs> well, I, I want us to meet officially in person. I want to mention... Okay. So I'll, yeah. I'll put a paper. Um, this has been the Riverwise podcast. Um, I want to mention um, before we sign off our funders um, or a couple of our funders, the Detroit Journalism Engagement Fund has provided funds towards this specific project and towards Riverwise in general. We want to give them a shout out for sure. Mainly we want to mention the folks that have supported us in the community through their subscriptions, through their donations, by holding the magazine, by by carrying it at their small businesses. We we, uh, we uh, have nothing but appreciation for them. And we're going to continue through this crisis. We have an issue coming out uh, at the end of May. We're saying May 20th. It'll be in that neighborhood. And um, we're figuring out different ways to get the magazine out. But in the, mean, in the meantime, uh, Amas and I will be continuing to work on this podcast. We hope to have it out twice a month when, when we get things rolling. We'll be doing some more things online at uh, riverwisedetroit.org. You'll see some more activity and through our Instagram as well. Valerie Jean is helping us keep uh, up to speed in that paradigm. So we appreciate that. And Reverend Ross, we'll be tuning in WNUC. It sounds like uh, there's no lack of opportunity to listen to that incredible programming. We appreciate everything you do. Yeah. And our podcast mm. is So Solar Detroit and it's on a Pacifica podcast network. You can get that information too from our website. So, and look, don't get too good at this because I don't need you really taking over the airways and the podcasting. I thought I had given you the print side of everything. I need you over in your lane and out of my lane. <laughs> Thank you so much, Reverend Ross. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you very soon. All right. Okay. Thank you for having me. Great we'll talk being to you too. Here. Thank you. Bye-bye, Amos. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. You guys. as well. Mm -hmm. Bye.